Episode 315 of the Biz Talk with Bill Roy podcast. The Wichita Business Journal created this podcast because we want to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. I'm editor Kirk Semenoff. It is mayoral primary season in the city of Wichita, and this podcast over the next five or six weeks will be doing interviews with at least five, if not more, of the candidates who are trying to finish in the top two of the August 1st primary to advance to the November general election. Jared Cerullo, a Wichita veteran journalist and former District 3 representative on the City Council, is one of those candidates, and he joins me in episode 315 to talk about his candidacy. But first, let me tell you about the weekly print edition of the Wichita Business Journal. This week's cover story is our 2023 Healthcare Heroes section. Each year, the WBJ selects outstanding healthcare professionals who have gone the extra mile in their care for Wichitans. We recognize doctors, nurses, dentists, emergency care workers, therapists, and many more. Our Healthcare Heroes honors begin on page 13. This week's list is architecture firms. See who ranks as the largest and see what kind of work they're focused on in 2023. The list is on page 8. Our Young Professionals series continues this month with a spotlight on top marketing professionals. See who they are and see what they think are the greatest current challenges in the industry. Our Young Professionals series begins on page 47. Part of our mission is to help small and medium-sized businesses grow. One way we try to accomplish that is through our weekly lead section. We list bankruptcies, new real estate deals, building permits, new corporations, who owes back taxes, and court judgments. Our lead section this week begins on page 58. Equity Bank means business. That's why they've created business solutions to help you solve your business challenges. Visit them today at equitybank.com. Jared Cerullo is running for mayor in the August 1st primary, trying to become one of the two candidates that move on to the general election in November, and he's here with me on the podcast this week. Thanks, Jared, for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, first question, why are you running for mayor? I, 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 that's the question that I'm going to ask everyone, and I, I'm interested in your answer as a former council member. I'm running for mayor because I believe our city has been falling behind for 20 or 30 years, and it's not a Republican or Democrat thing to me. It's a bad leadership thing to me. Um, we have seen in past... Um, mayoral administrations um, where taxpayer dollars have been wasted and given away and it's time for that to stop. Um, we need to have good, honest, ethical leadership at City Hall and we need to have, we, we need to figure out why our city has been falling behind other comparable cities like Tulsa, Oklahoma City in terms of job growth, business development, population growth. Our census numbers were terrible in, in 2022 over the past 10 years because the census is done once every decade. Our, the city of Wichita's population is stagnant. And when you have a population of a half a million people or more, you know, the six county area is approaching 600,000 people now. It's, we have to figure out what the illness is that's causing our city not to grow. So that's why I'm running, because I think our city is is right now sick. 
And you've been very critical of the mayor, Brandon Whipple, but it sounds like it's, it's been more than his administration, even going farther back for you. I do. I do think it's been multiple. Um, like I said, it's not, a, it's not a Republican or Democrat thing to me. It's, it's that we have um, leaders that have been elected in the past that I do not believe are in this for the right reasons. And I'm, I, I'm funding my own campaign in this issue. Um, I learned a tough lesson in 2021 about accepting campaign donations from wealthy developers. No matter what, even though I met with every single one of those wealthy developers and said, hey, if you are donating money to my campaign, it's because you believe and want honest leadership. Not because you accept a favor down the line somewhere, but because you want good leadership. That's why you're investing in me. If you expect a favor down the line, keep your money. I met with every single one of them. So no matter what, even, you know, I was pounded pretty hard on, on, by my opponents and other people in the, in the community about accepting donations from wealthy developers. So I've decided to fund my own campaign. I think it's, it's worth it to me to take that sacrifice and uh, figure out a way to find good leadership. And that's why I'm running. Why, what challenges does that bring self-funding your campaign? You obviously... I don't believe you have a website. I think you're relying on Facebook and other social media. Uh, obviously, it presents a lot of challenges. It does present a lot of challenges. You know, these campaigns are not free. Um, I raised $35,000 in my 2021 council campaign all on my own. Um, and I thought because of that, that my campaign was doing pretty well. It helped fund yard signs. It helped fund mailers. It helped fund billboards. Um, it helped fund paying volunteers to help me walk neighborhoods. Um, but on the other hand, my opponent on the record, I think we have some campaign finance issues to look at here. My opponent on his campaign finance documents shows that he only raised six to $8,000, but he accepted several tens of thousands of dollars from PACs and political strategy groups that are quite frankly, connected to our current mayor, Brandon Whipple. And that's how he got elected. Hmm. And I believe we need to look at some campaign finance rules regarding that mm -hmm. as well. I want to get into that later. I do want to kind of introduce each candidate to the, to the listener. Tell me about yourself. You're from Wichita. You grew up on the south side. Uh, tell me about you growing up in Wichita. You know, I'm a lifelong Wichita resident, south Wichita resident. I've grown up in that area between 47th and 63rd and Broadway and Hydraulic my entire life. Uh, went to Hayesville schools because, you know, I've always been a Wichita resident, but we were so far south we went to Hayesville schools. Uh, so I'm a graduate of campus high school. Uh, went on to attend WSU. I do not have a degree. I, I you know, my life situation when I was in college was one that uh, I found myself moving out on my own three months after I graduated from high school um, and working one part-time job and two part or one full-time job and two part-time jobs. I had to make a decision to either keep a roof over my head or continue going to school and I had to make that decision to, to leave WSU. So I don't have a degree but what I do have is a lot of real-world experience I mm -hmm. believe in the uh, journalism world right here in Wichita, Kansas. I, I started working at KFDI Radio when I was 19 years old. Um, you know, cracking in, you know, I was, I was, all I wanted to do was be able to just be, empty the trash to get my foot 
foot in the door <laughs> at KFDI. And I, I felt so, so proud to be able to work with people like Dan Dillon and Bill Roy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, John Wright, Ken Vandruff, those guys who are such, such good journalists. And so I was, I was thankful to be under their leadership for a long time. And over the next 15 years, I worked my way up to uh, midday and afternoon anchor. And and when I left KFDI, I was the assignment editor. So at that time, KFDI had about 14 employees between full and part-time employees. It's in the news department. It's not like that anymore, unfortunately. Um, But I moved my way up. And in 2007, I accepted a job at Cake Channel 10 as an assignment editor and worked my way up from there. And eventually, uh, over the six or seven years there, Um, I left Cake as a uh, weekend anchor and uh, news reporter and anchor. So I felt I worked my way up through the ranks of of two local news departments, and I'm I'm proud of that. And because of that experience, I've had a chance to be a watchdog over city councils and county commissions and our school boards. Um, A lot of people, a lot of reporters in the newsroom find that stuff boring, and I never did. You know, that was kind of my cup of tea between that and crime and courts, and those were always kind of my two beats that, um, you know, it's just been my profession to make sure things are above board with our city council, our county Mm -hmm. commission, our school boards, um, make sure our taxpayer dollars are spent wisely. And so that's why um, another reason I think my experience proves that um, I would be a great fit for the mayor's office. And I can tell listeners who aren't in a journalism background that newsrooms are a great place to grow up. I started at the Eagle when I was 17. You started in radio when you were 19. You really learn all about life and and quickly and from from sometimes jaded people. Yes, that's that's true. <laughs> but uh, you, you do you do learn a lot about life. That's for sure. And like you said, you learned about local government too. I'm curious. Um, there are there are three connections in this race from journalism into government, and I'm curious about what you saw as a journalist once you became the appointed city council member in District Three in, in 2021. It was different. It was a little different being on the inside. Um, And the Business Journal even uh, did an article about me shortly after I was sworn in. And um, I want to make it clear that I served on the council the unexpired term for Mr. Clendenin, who resigned. Uh, The council ultimately selected me after a several-month-long process uh, to fill out that unexpired term. When I when I got on the council, I re, you know I had that media background of always wanting to dig, always wanting to ask lots of questions. You know, no matter who is sitting in these council seats and the mayor's seat, we're not going to know everything about mm-hmm. all the decisions that are faced that we're faced with making. But that's how I went in as a journalist every day. I may not know very much about the story I'm covering for the day, but my job is to ask a lot of questions, figure out where the substance is, throw out the garbage, and make a, you know, write a story on whatever the story it is that I'm covering. Mm -hmm. And when I got in, it was kind of the same process, asking a lot of questions to our city staff and our community, quite frankly. Uh, because our, our representatives are elected not to do their bidding, to do our community's bidding. We're supposed to represent our community. Um, asking a lot of questions, figuring out where the substance is, and making a decision to move our city forward. And I realized, you know, being 
on the other end, a lot of people asking a lot of questions and realizing, you know, things that I can't really talk about. Uh, you know, the things that I always wanted to dig. That's I was always right. asking those questions. You're on the other you know, side now. But I'm on the other side. So, you know, there were certain things that had to be kept quiet, executive sessions, things like that, that we talk about all the time with, um, unfortunately, lawsuits that are filed involving our police department and other things that, that – have to remain private. So mm-hmm. I, I re- once I got on the inside, I realized just how much information does need to stay private. As a journalist, I think you probably have a perception of how city government, in this case, works. Uh, and once you get inside, it's probably a different perception. Um, how does city government function? How do, how do you see it functioning? And like you said, it, you don't see it functioning very well, but what were the... the consistent problems you saw? I see our city government supposed to be functioning as a representative of the people. I, as a council member, um, am supposed to go back. This is why we have district advisory boards. And by the way, I served on the district advisory board for District 3 for five years before I ever uh, entertained the idea of thinking about getting on council. I, you know, we're supposed to go to those district advisory boards. We're supposed to go to those neighborhood association meetings and and be in constant contact with our current, you know, our, our the people who elected us. And I don't see that happening in the mayor's office right now. What I see in the mayor's office is a um, a proactive, policy-driven mayor that sometimes gets into things that maybe city hall doesn't need to be meddling with. You know, let's talk, you know, the, the non-discrimination ordinance, quite frankly. Um, I was proud to support the non-discrimination, well, the, the final version of the non-discrimination ordinance that passed. Um, I was proud to support that. But the way it was brought up divided our, divided our community terribly. And I think it could have been handled a lot better than it was. How, how would you have done it? I would have gone to our community. I would have I would have gone out to the council members first. I would have met with groups like Equality Kansas, the Human Kansas Human Rights Coalition first. That did not happen. Um, this is how the process happened to me. The city manager came in to me on a Thursday in my office and handed me a one one page green sheet that said uh, this is a non discrimination. The, the manager said. I just wanted you to know that this is a non-discrimination ordinance that's going to be up for vote next week, Tuesday. And it kind of caught me off guard. You know, it really didn't click in my head at first. And then as I'm reading this, so I asked the manager, well, who brought this up? The mayor. The mayor mayor Whipple wants, wants this passed. And I said, wait a second, this is, this is a hugely important piece of legislation that, yes, I want to support, but this can't be passed in five days. This is something that we must go out to um, our constituents to right. talk about. And secondly, as I looked through the original version of the non-discrimination ordinance, it would have provided no protections whatsoever for any of the nine marginalized groups. It had no enforcement arm whatsoever. So if we're going to pass an ordinance that says you can't do this, if there's no penalties, why are we passing an ordinance in the first place? 
if we're going to pass an ordinance like that, it has to be much more than just symbolic. Mm -hmm. It has to provide penalties. Um, Do you think that that is a byproduct of this um, mayoral administration? Um, Do you... Has it been your experience that that happened under previous mayors, the kind of lack of planning, lack of, uh, of you know, yeast building, I guess? You know, um, I've only had the opportunity to serve under one mayor, so I didn't see that as a journalist. Um, the way I see the council manager form of government working, the council is supposed to be the, the manager's boss. The manager uh, oversees day-to-day operations of City Hall. The council members and the mayor are supposed to be the watchdog over the mayor, the the city manager's boss, for lack of a better phrase. And I don't see that happening. I I don't see certain council members and the mayor, I don't see that happening right now. I think certain council members think Bob is the boss. And I think that needs to change in some ways. You've, you've called for his removal, either for him to step aside or you'd like to see a new city manager. I have. Um, I think we need change not only in the mayor's office, but in the city manager's office. Bob Layton is not squeaky clean. He has had some conflict of interest, several conflict of interest items come up over his 14 years. The the average tenure of a manager for a city our size is six to seven years. Bob's been here 14 years. It's, it, it's... Is it because the tenure has been too long and, and it's becoming stale or what, why would you like to see him I think it's go? a little bit of that and I think it's a little bit of uh, maybe the current manager feels too comfortable. I think it's time to bring in a manager from maybe a smaller city that need that wants to prove himself and has incentive to make bold decisions to move our city forward. And I think that's what's needed because something is holding our city back whether whether it's bad leadership from the top to the bottom, something is holding our city back. And this has been going on for 10, 20 years, and it's just time to make some bold decisions to move our city forward. And probably another conversation, another podcast for another time is the form of government we have. Um, You know, the mayor has a little more power than when he was appointed by, you know, vote of the seven council members, or maybe if it was five, 25 years ago. But it's certainly not a strong mayoral process right now. Um, Would you like to see that? No. I do not think a strong mayor system is the way to go. I think the council manager form of government is the right way for our size of a city. I think the council manager form is the right way to be. Um, Where the council is supposed to be the manager's boss, the council is supposed to be that watchdog over the city manager, Um, And the representatives, the constituents, the voters are the ones who represent the representatives of of the council for each district. I think I would like to see more districts. I think I would like to see a total of nine districts now. Wichita has, our our districts have, like District 3 is, you know, each district, it's not only District 3. 
it's all they're, of the districts. They're very large. Yeah, they are large districts. It's it's six districts right now plus the mayor. So yeah. So seven votes on the council. I think we could go to. Eight, I, we probably need to have an odd number of total votes. So mm -hmm. I think we could go to eight districts right. and a mayor to have nine votes, um, just because of of you know. And that brings up another problem that our city in terms of size has grown out, but we continue to see problems here in the core, mm -hmm. in the downtown area. Old Town has seen some development. We've seen the most residential growth in Old Town and downtown that we have in the last 10 years or so. That's a good thing, definitely. Um, but we've gotten to the point now where we do need to look at expanding the districts. I do not think we should go to a strong mayor format, though, mm -hmm. um, and especially with the current mayor, who quite, I'm, I'm not disrespecting Brandon Whipple at all, but he would not be qualified to be a, 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 an overseer of City Hall government from a standpoint of running day-to-day -day operations of the City Hall. How much of your candidacy is, I just don't want Brandon Whipple back as mayor? Um, no, it's not that. I think it's that I want to be a bold leader to move our city forward. Do I think Brandon Whipple has made some bad decisions and some, um, has some ethical issues? Yes, we've seen stories in the media where he's tried to abuse our neighborhood cleanups. We've seen stories in the media where he has, um, destroyed the relationship between the mayor's office and the police department. Job number one for me on day one will be to repair that relationship between the mayor's office and the police department. Um, I have ideas that I want to, especially with, like I said, with business development, I don't think there's been a focus on economic development and business, business growth in the city in the last four years. Um, I think the Riverfront Ballpark Stadium deal was handled terribly. That was not under Brandon Whipple's leadership. That was under a previous mayor. Yeah, tell me why you think it was handled terribly. I think it was handled terribly because we gave away prime riverfront property for a dollar an acre, and especially now that we've seen the developers not hold up their end of the bargain. Yes, we did have a pandemic, absolutely, but at some point we've got to stop using the pandemic as an excuse for why things are still being held back. And today, to this day, we've still seen no development whatsoever. Ground, not ha ground has not been broken mm -hmm. on the west side of the riverbanks. And I think someone, we need someone to hold these developers' feet to the fire to make sure they're holding up their end of the bargain. Um, I believe Lawrence Dumont Stadium needed to go. It was crumbling. We, we know mm -hmm. that. It was, concrete was literally falling down on Lawrence Dumont Stadium. Um, I believe the Starbond proposed, the Starbonds, the state's Starbond uh, program needs to be overhauled. I think there are uh, too many loopholes in, in the program that we've seen, <clears throat> pardon me, that we've seen um, developers not holding up their end of the bargain of these programs. Mm -hmm. Derby is looking at another Starbond situation down there. It's like, oh my gosh, how many Starbond proposals do we have around here? You mentioned the pandemic. The pandemic created ARPA funds. 
those ARPA funds are running out, and I don't think, you know, I, I definitely don't think the Business Journal and other media in town write about the city yeah. budget problem that is ahead. It's $18 million projected in 2025, maybe as high as $20 million in subsequent years. As a mayor, how would, you, how would you tackle what is going to be probably the most significant issue to the city in the coming years? Like you mentioned, the city's budget has been shored up these last couple of years by federal pandemic relief dollars. Um, and I was, you know, part of my experience is that in 2021, I took part in that uh, process to help distribute those pandemic relief dollars. And I was proud to support one of the biggest expenditures was an $8.4 million injection into our fire department in uh, 2021 for the 2022 budget year. Um, so the fire department was able to get several new apparatus and lots of new equipment because of that. We're very thankful of that. But the issue that that creates is that our budget in 2025 is going to have a 15 to $20 million shortfall deficit. The city's rainy day fund right now is, is just a little under $20 million, um, money that, you know, has been sitting aside to use for whatever purpose, you know, these bad situations that come up. And I'm very, very worried that we may have to use much or all of that rainy day fund over the next several years, starting in 2025, to help shore up our budget. Serious decisions are going to have to be made, and I will be a mayor that will work with the city manager, and I believe it's going to have to come up to a decision being made to say to each budget head, department head, um, show us a budget with a minimum 5% reduction from the previous year. Mm -hmm. um, Every single department, that includes police and fire, public works, it's not going to be a pretty situation beginning in 2025. You've been in the room uh, and you see how a mayor can lead. It's possible to lead. How can a mayor lead in, 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 in a crisis that's, you know, it's probably going to be a crisis um, like that? Because it's the manager and his, his people in, the, in City Hall doing the work. But how does a mayor lead? A mayor leads by being an honest and ethical person that is working with the entire council to figure out where the problems are um, and work with our constituents as well to bring up as many ideas as possible. We need to be inclusive of all uh, people of all walks of life to work with professionals who have that knowledge. <coughs> Again, pardon me. Because, like I said, no council member or no mayor is going to have the answers to all the decisions that we're faced with. But I'll be a mayor who will work diligently with the manager and the department heads um, to make sure we're moving forward honestly and ethically, um, despite the challenge this, challenges that we're going to be faced with. The rest of these questions are going to be about business and development, and I guess the budget shortfall is going to have to be a factor in, in each of your answers. But tell me what you see ahead. You mentioned that the, there's been no development around the stadium yet. Um, what do you see Wichita being able to do on the West Bank and then on the East Bank as well? Well, I think we need to hold the, the current new team owners uh, feet to the fire regarding development of the uh, restaurant and the hotel, the boutique hotel, that were supposed to have been built by now. 
and open. And um, we need to make sure that they're holding up their end of the bargain. And the the, the agreement was completely rewritten last year, um, and they were allowed to have some looser restrictions. Um, so now that especially they've gotten looser restrictions, we need to make sure that they're doing that. And if not, you know, the, you know, they're going to have to do that or face some penalties mm-hmm. um, and pay us back some of the money. The riverfront state, that was a TIF district. We talked about star right. bonds earlier. Mm-hmm. The riverfront development was a TIF district, which is a, uh, I can't remember what the acronym stands tax for now. Increment tax financing. increment financing. Yes. Yeah. So basically you have a district that's drawn around Delano. And all of the there's an extra sales tax that people pay in that area, and that extra sales tax is supposed to go to pay off the debt for the ballpark, the eighty or ninety million dollars that it took to build the ballpark. The problem is we have not seen enough economic generation. We mm-hmm. have not seen enough sales tax revenue to pay off that debt in the seven years, even on good years of the baseball team. Even the first year when the baseball team did great, we, we were not seeing strong enough mm-hmm. sales tax generation to pay off the debt. Now that we've had a couple of bad years, it's even worse. So what's going to happen? You know, we're already faced with this 2025 deficit situation. We're going to be faced with that debt, the riverfront ballpark debt that's going to have to come due, in the next four years, mm-hmm. the state will require the manager to raise taxes on the entire city if we're not generating enough sales tax revenue to pay off that debt. So we're going to be faced with a tax increase there, and the, there will be no choice. There will be no choice whatsoever. We've got multiple problems coming up here in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. What do you see on the East Bank? You know, b- before you came into office to serve the rest of Clendenin's term in 21, there was a populous uh, uh, plan for $1.2 billion. Um, that quickly went away during the pandemic. Bob Layton's proposal, boy, it's been about a year ago now, um, is $400 million that saves Century 2, repurposes Century 2, does not address performing arts. But again, we're in an economic time when with a budget shortfall that it's hard to see that being done, too. What would you like to see done on the East Bank? Um, I would like to see, at, le- at the very least, a Price Woodard Park needs some serious improvements on the east side, which is the park that's right on the west, between the river and Century 2. Mm-hmm. Um, the city let a Price Woodard Park uh, deteriorate in, in the last few years. Um, some improvements have been made in the last two years, I believe, but um, I'd like to see A. Price Woodard Park uh, get get the uh, attention it deserves. Um, I, I believe there will be, in the next four years, I believe that the Riverfront Legacy Master Plan will come back up. There will be an effort to um, tear down Century 2 again. And, and your and, thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, since you asked, um, I personally, I believe we should save Century 2. I, I am not a proponent of tearing down Century 2, but no matter what, if that plan comes forward, it needs to go to a public vote. And I would bind myself to that public vote, because who's to say that if we did that public vote and 70% of the people who voted 
cast a ballot to tear down Century 2. You can't argue. You simply cannot argue with that. Once you've mm -hmm. done a public vote, you cannot argue with that. Um, so I would bind myself to that public vote. Um, I do believe we must do something for performing arts. Performing arts needs its own venue outside of Century 2. It's completely... Uh, Century 2 is n not logistical for performing arts any longer. I think we need to give performing arts the, the attention it deserves as well in a new building. And that will require bringing uh, business people, uh, developers. That will require bringing people, um, the movers and shakers of Wichita, together to figure out how to get it done. But I think we can build a performing arts center without tearing down Century 2. But again, I think um, if the Riverfront Legacy Master Plan were to come up again, and I do believe it will, I think it, Century 2 should go to a public vote. Does, does performing arts have to be done by private investment? I think it should be done by private investment, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, just an overall general question. You know, I, I will make the case that, that Brandon Whipple winning in 2019 and Jeff Longwell losing in 2019 was a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, you had three or four things happen that all contributed, um, and I may, may get some blowback from the mayor when, when I make that theory with him, but overall, and this goes to Longwell's relationship with business leaders back then that got him in some hot water, what should a mayor's relationship be with business leaders, not just developers, but business leaders in the community? The mayor's relationship has to be one where you are not too cozy, quite frankly, um, you have to be, uh, the mayor's relationship with everybody in, in the city, be it the Chamber of Commerce, developers, um, all, all sorts of people from all walks of life has to be one of bringing people together and facilitating the discussions that have to be made in order to move our city forward. Um, I think that the mayor's relationship can't be one. And, and again, that's why I've decided to self-fund my campaign, because a campaign donation, as it turns out, you're always linked with that stigma hovering over your head. Well, you accepted a donation from so-and-so developer, so you can't, you should recuse yourself. Then we get into a situation of council members, and we've seen this with certain council members serving right now, where they have to recuse themselves from lots and lots of votes. So, so then it becomes how effective are you as a council member because you have to recuse yourself from so many votes. So it, yes, it is a thin ice. You know, you have to tread that water very carefully. But the mayor should always be a person who is facilitating those discussions with people mm -hmm. all the time. I'm curious from your time on the council what your view was for how well the city does in terms of making it as easy as possible for someone to start, start a business. The Wichita Workforce Alliance has been, I've used the services of the Wichita Workforce Alliance myself. I'm, I'm you know... I don't consider myself a small business owner, um, but I found uh, very helpful resources uh, being self-employed with the Wichita Workforce Alliance. Um, SCORE, I don't know if you've ever heard of SCORE or not, but they hold... I, th I think when, when someone reaches out and realizes that there are resources available to them, 
I think there are lots of resources available to startups and uh, people who want to become a small business owner. It's just facilitating with our city representatives pointing the people in the right direction. Mm -hmm. What other big priorities do you have as mayor, be they business-related or not? Be they business-related or not. Well, number one is honesty and uh, integrity. Those are my two things. That as, as far as priorities go, repair the relationship between our police department and the mayor's office and lead the, lead the push to bring in a new city manager. Um, those are my top two priorities because I think everything else, no matter what it is, business development, city parks, our affordable housing crisis that we're facing, mm-hmm. and that's another discussion. We, the city currently has hundreds of single-family homes that are on the housing stock right now that are not being utilized. So when we talk about affordable housing, we, the city has affordable housing available that's not being utilized. Um, but if we, don't have a, we, if we don't have public safety and we don't have a good city manager, we do, it all crumbles mm-hmm. downhill from there. You said you're self, uh, self-funding your campaign. You're also knocking on a lot of doors every night. Um, tell me what you're hearing from constituents. I can't even say it. <laughs> constituents. A, it's a hard word, yes. Um, <laughs> What's most important to them? Everyday people. Um, I am hearing a lot of, of unhappiness out there from both Republicans and Democrats. And I do when I'm knocking on doors every night. I, a lot of people do ask me that question right off the bat. Are you Republican or Democrat? And it's, I, it's not a Republican or Democrat thing to me. I think we need to set aside that partisan, petty bickering and bring people of all walks of life together. We have more in common than with each other than just Republican and Democrat politics. When I think of the pothole in the street, I don't care if that pothole is Republican or Democrat. I just want it <laughs> fixed, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't care if our water is Republican or Democrat. I just want it clean. I, we need to stop um, that petty, policin, petty, petty partisan politics and, and figure out a way to bring people together. But what I hear most when I'm knocking on doors is we need to get back to the basics. Our streets, our roads, our bridges, our water, our city parks, housing, things like that. Um, And start from there. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a lot of doors to knock on before August 1st. Jared Cerullo, thanks for joining me. Great. Best of luck to you in this Uh, mayoral primary and if you're one of the top two we hope we can have you back in october before the november general absolutely thanks for having me thanks well that's it for biz talk with bill roy this week episode 315 we'll have our second in our series of mayoral candidate interviews next week a reminder you have until july 11th to register to vote and early voting for the august 1st primary begins july 17th check out all our podcast episodes at our biz talk with bill roy hub It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. BizTalk with Bill Roy is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Creating the business concept turned out to be the easy part. The challenges that follow is where Equity Bank comes in. Equity Bank was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let them help your business evolve and solve your challenges. Tomorrow is here. Visit them today at equitybank.com forward slash evolve. Be well and be safe.
Have a profitable week.